So Holy Spirit, help us to know what to do with Jesse's least favorite verse in the Bible and how we can apply that to our lives and what it means for us. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, good to see all of you. Those of you who are watching on the podcast as well, thank you for joining us. I recently uh, just read an article about a real estate listing in Dallas, and the title of the uh, article was Converted Church, which I thought was kind of an interesting title. And what somebody had turned a church into a house, like only in Texas, right? And it said that this is kind of, the article said this is kind of a growing trend, at least in Texas. So the altar had been turned into a granite kitchen island, and the, the choir loft was rewired for a home theater. And, and I don't know if it was one of those churches that had one of those big baptismal tanks, but that could have been like the hot tub, right? Or, or, or in a Presbyterian church, I suppose you could have just tapped a stand on a sprinkler or something like that. It sold for $2 million, and it has 11 bedrooms. So finally, people can sleep in church comfortably, right? <laughs> what an image. What an image of the state of the American church. Comfortable, sedentary, domesticated. We're doing a sermon series called Thriving in Exile because lots of us have exile experiences. Maybe it's a job that we are bored with, or a job we don't have, or a health problem, or a relationship problem. That, that feels like exile. And then corporately, as Christians in a post-Christian culture, it is easy to feel like we are in exile. But biblically speaking and historically, whenever people go into exile, they thrive and they revive. Exile in the Bible and history has actually been really, really good for people. And the New Testament frequently describes Christians as exiles or ambassadors from another kingdom meant to carry with us the culture of that kingdom wherever we go. And today's passage talks about the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. And it says that they saw themselves as foreigners and strangers on earth, a.k.a. exiles. And as Exhibit A, the text points to Abraham. And here's what you need to know. God's rescue mission really starts in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 1 through 11, that's just the prologue. Noah's Ark, creation, all of that. That's just the prologue. That's just setting the stage. God's rescue mission really begins in Genesis 12 with Abraham, where God says to Abraham, leave your country and go to a land that I will show you. And then from Abraham comes a family that centuries later becomes the nation of Israel, meant to carry God's love all around the world, And this rescue mission culminates in Jesus, who is a descendant of Abraham. And here's what I find interesting. When God launches his rescue mission, hinge of history, he didn't start an institution or a town or a foundation or anything that had any kind of stable quality to it. When God launched his rescue mission, he created exiles. Abraham is an exile. And what that means is that we are meant to be exiles too. But you know what? Exiles... That's such an unpleasant word, isn't it? None of us really want to be exiles. We, want, we, want, we like happy words. So a happier word for exile would be pioneer. Doesn't that sound better? You're pioneers, not exiles. We're pioneers, right? And by pioneer, I don't mean that we have to move to a new city or get a new job. I mean, maybe. But mostly this is about an attitude. You can be a pioneer without moving, right? How can you be a pioneer in your Job, marriage, neighborhood, school, wherever it is. And the pioneer life is definitely harder. It's way harder, but it's also more interesting. Pioneers get to see things settlers don't. Pioneers get stronger. Pioneers open up new possibilities, and because of that, they change history often more than settlers. Settlers, settlers, they they become settled, sedate, sleepy, serious, somber, stuck, supercilious, sanctimonious, and other words like that. 
Right? You don't want to be that. And the problem is in the West, the church has adopted a settler mentality more than a pioneer mentality. And because of that, Christianity has lost its radical, edgy, making new of all things quality and is just sedate, somber, sleepy, and all of that. The writer, Wes Seeliger, kind of is comparing pioneers versus settlers, and he puts it this way. He says, in settler theology, the church is the courthouse in the little town, and it's in charge of everything. But in pioneer theology, the church is a covered wagon out on the trail moving ahead. In settler theology, God's the mayor. He lives in the courthouse and keeps an eye on everything. But in pioneer theology, God is the trail boss. He keeps people moving. And when they get stuck, he gets down in the dirt to help them move forward. In settler theology, the Holy Spirit is the saloon girl. She keeps everybody happy and comfortable. In pioneer theology, the Holy Spirit is a buffalo hunter, providing food for the wagon train. Now, Bell Press, which would you rather be? Pioneer or settler church? Pioneer would be the right answer, Bell Press. Right? It's just more interesting, harder, but just more interesting. So the question is, how can I be, with, you know, whether I move or not, right where I'm at, how can I be a pioneer in my job, my school, my marriage, my neighborhood? How do I have that attitude? And the pioneer attitude, pioneer faith is marked by a couple characteristics I want to go over. And the first is we're always moving. Maybe not geographically, but spiritually. We're always moving. There's a scene in the movie Annie Hall where Woody Allen tries to break up with his girlfriend because he feels a relationship's not going anywhere. And, and he says, a relationship is like a shark. Sharks have to keep moving or they die. What we have here is a dead shark. She was not impressed. That did not feel good to her. And that is just one of a very long list of reasons why you never want to take relationship advice from Woody Allen. And for those of you too young to know who he is, Wikipedia is your friend. In faith, in life, we have to keep moving or we become dead. We shrink and we die. That's why God tells Abraham to leave his country. Only I love the way it's phrased in the King James Version. In King James, God says this, get thee out of thy country. I love that. Get out of here. Right? As though Abraham were like a 30-year-old still living in God's basement. You know? Get out of here. Go get a job. Right now, hide thee hands. Get, go, 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 go. Which sounds harsh, but it's, it's so that Abraham can go on to new adventures. And this map shows you Abraham's journeys. He starts down there in Ur, by that star there, which is kind of where today, that's Iraq. He goes up there to Haran, which is today Turkey. And then he goes down to Israel, Canaan, and he wanders around there for the rest of his life, never settling anywhere. He just keeps wandering. That's his journey. And what you need to know about Ur, where Abraham started, is that Ur was a big city. It was a world-class city. If you could make it there, you'd make it anywhere. It's up to you, Ur, Ur. <laughs> and for those of you who didn't get that reference, that's a Frank Sinatra song, which is also quoted by Jay-Z in Empire State of Mind. This is a multi-generational reference, okay? <laughs> that is preaching art. You just need to know. Abraham was in very comfortable culture, very comfortable situation. And he has to leave family and friends. And God doesn't even tell him where he's going. God says, go to a land that I'll show you. What is up with that? I'd have so asked for more details. Where? When are we going to get there? Are we there yet? The text we read says that he was like a stranger in a foreign country. Again, exile. He lived in tents, which is kind of an odd Pray, line, right? I mean, the author's talking about faith and switches to camping. 
The point is, a life led in tents is always ready to pack up and move forward to the next thing to which God calls us. Now again, this doesn't mean that we have to move to a new city or get a new job. Last week, we looked at a scripture where God tells the Israelites to stay put and to bloom where they're planted. Plus, there's some good things about staying in the same place over time. It's rootedness, it's community, and all of that. See, this isn't about where you live or where you work. This is about how you live and how you work. It's about an always-growing, risk-taking attitude. Because if that sedentary attitude creeps into our life and our faith, what we've got here is a dead shark, right? Spiritually, we just shrink and we die. When you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. That's a little bit of Eastern Washington wisdom for you if you just... Sort of ponder it, you'll grow in your faith. Now, when we hear always moving, we tend to think bigger, better, more. You know, bigger house, bigger job. Might be a big, it might mean a different job. It might. Or like some of you who, after praying about it, turned down a promotion because it would take too much time away from faith and friends and family. In this culture, that is as counterculture, living in faith, pioneer as you can get. And a good place to start being a pioneer is simply to do what God says to do in the Bible. That alone is scary enough. Give some money, forgive some people, take risks to help others. And I'll give you some examples a little bit later. Second characteristic of pioneer faith. Second characteristic is we are never fully arriving. Always moving, but never fully arriving. This is the part that Jesse didn't like. The tech, and I don't like it either, really, in some ways. The text says... They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And historically, neither Abraham nor his immediate descendants ever got the land that God had promised. That came centuries later. See, God basically says to Abraham, go. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. And then God says, I'll give you this land. And then Abraham says, when? And God says, I'll tell you later. Right? And then later on in the story, God says, I'll give you a son. And Abraham said, how? I'm 100. My wife is 90. And God said, I'll tell you later. I'm still working that one out. <laughs> See, God only guides us one step at a time for a good reason. So we have to hang on to him for the next step. Plus, if God had shown me my entire life when I was 25, I'd have died of a heart attack. There's sort of mercy in the one step at a time. The text said that people like Abraham were looking for a land to call their own. Looking, I-N-G, ongoing action. Which shows that the mark of pioneer faith is not perfection, it's progress. Are you progressing? Are you becoming more like Jesus or not? Be honest. And you see this in Abraham, who is by no means perfect at all. At one point, there's a famine. So he goes down to Egypt for food, and he says to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Okay, if you're a quality pitcher, or if you're a, if you're a, if you're a pitcher, that's a quality start. Good start, but it goes downhill. Know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> and technically, it's not a lie, because Sarah was his half-sister, but it leaves her exposed in a very misogynist culture. And sure enough, Pharaoh likes her and so takes her and puts her in his harem. And then it says, he treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels. Now we can gloss right over that, so I'm going to put this in really stark terms to show what's really going on here and how horrible this really is. What Abraham does here is he pimps his wife for financial gain. That's how serious, that's how sinful it is. And this is the ancestor of our faith. And that would be the point. Jesus does not come to perfect people. 
He comes to people who need him. And the question is, are we making progress? The mark of pioneer faith is not perfection. It's progress. Are we moving forward? Now, the fact that we never attain perfection in this life, the fact that we never actually get there, that doesn't mean that there aren't some moments of amazing along the way. Right? Like Abraham got to see some really amazing moments along his journey, most, most especially having a kid when he was 100 and his wife was 90. That was amazing. Terrible, but amazing. You know, awesome. My family and I drive to the Bay Area about twice a year to see my wife's family, and we often do it in one day. And we're sort of like a friend of mine who always says to his kids on a trip, we're going to get in the car and we're going to drive, and two things will be true. The gas tank will be full and your bladders will be empty and we will not stop driving until your bladders are full and the gas tank is empty. That's sort of us, right? And my wife and I are mean parents, so we've heard, and you know, we don't have a DVD player in the van and we limit the time they can be on their own electronics and all of that. And our line to them has been, self-soothing is a life skill, best to learn it now. But along the way, we have developed a few sort of traditions, places, rest stops along the way. We always eat lunch at the same restaurant, Sweet Tomatoes, in Portland, even if we get there like 10.30 in the morning. We sometimes stop in Ashland, and as they've gotten older, sometimes we'll spend the night and we'll see a play. And, 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 and our kids like the rest stops, right? But the point is not to stay there. They're great, but the point is we're headed to California, the promised land. Right? Land of sunshine, land of great dim sum, the kind only my Chinese mother-in-law can really find, right? The rest stops are great, but we're headed towards something better, so we keep moving. The point is not to stop in Corvallis. The point is never to stop in Corvallis. Okay? God would not call you to Corvallis. This is just a biblical teaching. But we, but we get, in this life of faith, amazing moments, but we keep moving. Always moving, never fully arriving. Third, relying on a guide, not maps. At one point, the text says, Abraham pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Bethel, Ai, where, where's that, you may ask. That, that's also sort of the point. They're both towns. Bethel means the house of God. Best guess is Ai means a heap of ruins. <laughs> so how'd you like to live in that town, right? Like, I live in the heap of ruins. Awesome. Good, that's a good starter home for you, I suppose. Right? Between Ai and Bethel, I wonder, I wonder, do you ever feel like that? In your relationships, in your career, in your faith, do you ever feel like you're stuck somewhere between Ai and Bethel, somewhere between the house of God and a heap of ruins? Maybe you have heard some of God's promises, but you have not seen them fulfilled yet. So you just feel like you're stuck between Ai and Bethel. And here's the interesting thing Abraham does. He builds an altar. And normally you would build an altar when God does something amazing and you want to celebrate it. But here, nothing has happened. So he's just stuck between Ai and Bethel. So why does he build an altar? I think it's because in the middle of nowhere, he knows he is always with someone. And the altar is a way of saying, I may not be where I want to be. I actually have no idea where I am, but I know whose I am. So I will keep moving forward because mighty hands are guiding me whether I can see him or not. See, pioneers, we don't follow maps. We don't follow the maps that our culture gives us. It's easier. Maps are easier, but we don't follow maps. Maps of our culture, got to have, you know, this kind of job, these kind of house, this kind of house, 2.5 kids, all that. We don't follow the maps of peers or parents. We follow a guide, and his name is Jesus, because you know what? Maps are limited in what they can do. They really are. Easier, but limited. In June, my son had a swim meet in Toppenish, so we went over to watch, and my parents met us from the Tri-Cities, 
And at one point, my dad went to the car to get something, and he didn't come back for a really long time. And what you need to know is that we Dudley men, myself included, we are always forgetting where we put things. Always, always, always. So I figured that my dad had forgotten where he parked the car because I do that kind of thing all the time. So I had sympathy for him, but not so much that I wasn't going to give him a hard time. So I went to look for him because I thought this could be, I could have a lot of fun with this, right? So I found him, and he was sort of laughing, and, I, and he said, I can't find my car. Time for the home. Okay, he's nowhere near that, right? And I said, Dad, th you have been this way your entire life. You need to embrace it, right? This is you. And then he said, well, I've walked all over where I thought I parked the car. And I said, well, where you thought, the par you thought parked the car, that's irrelevant, isn't it? Where you really parked the car. Now, that's the interesting question. And besides, it's Toppenish. There's like three streets. Right? And he said, well, I thought I parked it over there by that red car that looks like ours. I said, Dad, that is your car. <laughs> and then he pushed on, the key, on his keychain, you know, the, the lock button on his keychain. He said, well, then why doesn't it do anything when I push this? I said, because we are three blocks away, as far away from the car as we can be and still be in Toppenish. And then he said, you're not going to use this in a sermon, are you? And I said, I am so going to use this in a sermon. Consider it in a sermon. So, and he watches these. So, Dad, thank you so much for your life. It's just awesome. <laughs> Great sermon material. Now, what he needed was a guide. A map would not have done any good. He needed a guide to talk it out with. Plus, the guide was just more fun. I mean, we got a great laugh out of that. My mom, my wife, and I. <laughs> Jesus is our guide. And we hear his guidance through scripture and prayer. Those thoughts that maybe aren't our thoughts. And the wisdom of others, the counsel of others. Always moving, never fully arriving. Following our guide. And finally, trusting the real foundations. Here's what I don't like about the pioneer life and the pioneer faith. Everything is always moving. Everything is always changing. No stability. And I'm not sure how much I like change. Sometimes I don't like it at all. That's the problem with the pioneer life. But the passage we read gives us a cure to that anxiety. It says Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect is God. In other words, the only thing that has any real foundation in this world is God and the with God life. Nothing in this world is stable. Nothing gold can stay, as Robert Frost wrote. Even if you have a great family, kids eventually grow up and move away. Even if we have great jobs, someone else had it before us, someone else will have it after us, we'll move on or we'll retire. And when we feel devastated at the thought of losing a friend or losing a job or not getting a promotion or losing a house or whatever it is, it's because we put all of our eggs in that basket. Now, jobs, families, friends, all of that, those are good things and we should enjoy them. But idolatry is not worshiping bad things. Idolatry is making good things ultimate things. And that's why God sometimes calls us away even from good things so we learn to stop trusting in them and trusting God only who is always with us. As one of my favorite hymns puts it, swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. See, when God says get out, there's someone else who got out as well. Jesus got out, exiled himself from heaven to become one of us, to show us who God really is. And he is with us still through the power of his Holy Spirit. So how can you, how can we, in jobs, schools, neighborhoods, marriages, live in a pioneer way? And maybe that means moving to a new city or a new job. Or maybe it means nothing new, but just changing what you're already doing and doing it differently. 
There's a woman I know who started asking herself the question, what really holds me back from radically following Jesus? And her answer was, my house. I like my house. I'm tied to my house, which means I'm tied to my mortgage, which means I'm tied to needing a certain kind of job with a certain kind of income. So as she and her husband prayed about it, they decided to sell their house, and they rented another house in a very diverse neighborhood in Seattle. And they love it. She talked about one of her kids' birthday parties, which had kids from all different races and economic backgrounds playing together. And the adults, the parents, they just hung out and talked and laughed for hours, enjoying just real community. Smaller house means they have more financial margin, which means they're less afraid financially. Smaller house has made them closer together as a family because instead of going to their separate rooms, they hang out together more. And they're also helping their neighbors who are in need through their church, which has tutoring programs and other things to assist under-resourced families. They discovered that they did not need their house to be happy. They just needed Jesus. They had pioneer faith. Now, I can imagine a story that would go the exact opposite way, where someone else stays in their house but lives differently. Like an elderly woman I told you about in the spring. She's in her 90s and she's homebound. But she started waving to the high school students on their way to and from school and just became this bright spot in the high school students' day. So they threw her this big old par party to honor her because she's become like their grandmother. She had pioneer faith and she didn't move an inch. She was homebound. It's just a matter of being open to what God's doing around us. A few weeks ago, I got an email from a man who goes to this church, who I'll call Fred, because I've never used that name before, so he's Fred. And as Fred was leaving a meeting in Seattle, he, he, he decided to drive a different way than he normally would. And as he did that, he thought, I wonder why I did that. I wonder why. Why do you think? He, a few minutes later, he saw a man who was on the street who was, who was chasing down a bus, but he missed it. And then this guy's shoulders just slumped, and he started kicking the ground. And a thought popped into Fred's mind, give him a ride. The next thought was, where did that come from? That's not safe. Especially, Fred since, said, since this guy was really, really big, right? Really big man. It's not safe to give very large men showing signs of frustration a ride. <laughs> and then he got the thought, I am with you. You do not need to be afraid. So he pulled over and looked in the mirror, but the guy had disappeared. And Fred thought, phew, dodged a bullet. And then the thought popped back into his head, I am with you. Just Wait. Sure enough, the man reappeared from behind a building, this time kicking a wooden box in anger. So Fred rolled down the window and said, did you miss the bus? Can I give you a ride? The guy got in the car, and in his email, Fred said, did I mention this guy was big? Like 350 pounds big, right? Big, and I'm small. So Fred's there thinking, I've got this box-kicking, angry giant next to me. And right then, this guy reached out, shook Fred's hand, and said, you must be a Christian. See, I just missed my bus, I am having a terrible day, and I just said to Jesus, are you really there, and do you really care? Boom. Prayer answered. Just like that, right? Now, what Fred did is not going to change the world, but it did change that man's day, and Fred's. Like, Fred realized that Jesus is real, and had just spoken to him. And he got to be part of giving this frustrated man a good day, and a very clear message that, yes, Jesus was with him. Now, you don't have to sell your house like my friend did, necessarily, but maybe. Or give strangers a ride, necessarily, but maybe. But how can you live in a pioneer way and pioneer faith? I want to close with a short video clip that I kind of think gives a visual of how the pioneer life is just kind of more interesting, 
more exciting. And it's a group of baby goats. Some of you may have seen this. Group of baby goats, and one of the goats is just super, super happy. You'll be able to tell which one. almost nothing to do with this sermon. I just really wanted to show that. I saw it this week. I said, i got to work it in somehow. I, I do think it shows one thing, though. It shows that the pioneers are just they're always on the move with God. Notice how he stayed really close to the owner, and he kept coming back. Right? Pioneers are like that, kind of always hopping from one place to the next in a life that is definitely less comfortable, way less comfortable. But you can be comfortable in your coffin. Plenty of time there. For now, be the goat, okay? Except don't knock people over, okay? But be like that goat, going, growing, progressing, hopping from challenge to challenge, adventure to adventure, excitement to excitement, strength to strength. Be a pioneer and watch what Jesus can make of your life. So Jesus, call us out of our comfort zone where we don't feel necessarily always safe or comfortable. Jesus, call us to those adventures that you would have for us. Whether they are here or in some new place, Lord, make us pioneers. And we will point to you for all the results. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.